you for listening to this message from the North Gate. Oh, that's good. And then we're just going to jump right back into a worship flow. Because I, oh man, I feel this so strong. Okay. All right. Give me John 15, verse 26. Oh, hallelujah. Take, turn the pad off because I'll cry some more. I need to get through this. The prophetic just stopped when that music went off. Okay, it's done. No, I'm kidding. Armin, thank you so much. Oh. All right, it's coincidence, right? Yeah, of course. (laughs) This is Bobby's Playhouse. Lightning, thunder. I was in a prayer meeting one time in the Limley's house and Man, it was getting swirly, and I, I, I don't normally do this. I just, I got in the atmosphere, and I'm standing in the kitchen, and <laughs> I, I was standing there and immediately went into a vision. And I was like in a storm of like thunder and light, like that scary, like purpley, like stuff in the clouds. And I had the audacity in this vision to go, Like I was going to get struck, you know, like strike me, Lord, you know, and it was and and I was like, what is this? And Yahweh said, this is Bobby's world. I'm like, holy crap. (laughs) It's wild. (laughs) I'm I'm a shepherd. I like green pastures. This man likes purple lightning and strikes and dangerous, danger, danger, danger. (laughs) But I celebrate the uniqueness of my brothers and sisters and I'm. So thankful that we're in a family that gives permission to such diversity in the kingdom. Extremely thankful for Jimmy and Tina. You have the greatest people leading you. Yeah, I mean, seriously, you have some of the greatest people leading you on the planet. Um, if Jimmy would ever just let Tina just really go for it in worship, y'all could just go to places unseen. He just can't handle it. She, he, like, he's like, when she starts singing, he's like, my God, I got to get in the middle of it. He just can't, he just can't handle it. I get it. That's why he married her. That's why he put a ring on it. So he gets to do whatever he wants. No, but so thankful for Jimmy and Tina and their kids and the relationships that we share, the Limleys and like our kids, every time they come together, it's just family. And I feel the same way with you guys in such such amazing memories that are made. I mean, I'll never forget this moment just just a minute ago and feeling the strength of your intercession for my life and for my family is a really, really big deal. So I'm going to share just a quick word with you that I think I, I need to deposit in the house and, um, and then I'll move out of the way and we'll go eat a cheeseburger. Or two. This has been, I've been studying and reading several books on the Trinity. It's just something, I don't, I don't know why, I just felt to do a deep dive. I've never felt to do that before. And so there's been something that has gone off on the inside that, that I, I didn't realize I needed. When the early church said Jesus... They were not just thinking, that when they said that word, that didn't just mean Jesus the man. 
when they spoke the word Jesus, they were speaking of the triune being of God. So when they said the word Jesus Christ in the early church, in the early church tradition is to say Trinity. Jesus and the word Trinity were used interchangeably. They meant the same thing. And it's to say this, when the early church said the name Jesus, this is, what, this is what it meant. That the triune God, now listen, because we think Jesus, we just think, okay, Jesus the person. Early church thought, when they heard the term Jesus, this is what they heard. The triune God, the human race, and the cosmos are no longer separated. This blows me away, dude. To hear the word Jesus, we think the person, we think the cross, we think we see it like historical events of a man. When the early church heard the word Jesus, what they heard in that is that Father, Son, and Spirit, along with the human race and the entire created order, are now one. No longer separated but bound together in relationship in a forever covenant. So when you heard the word Jesus, the early church was saying, what was once separated, what was once all been, had, had been ripped apart, has now been reconciled back to God. <laughs> and so, I, want, uh, I lied. I want to put up another verse. Ephesians 2, 18. This verse has just become a meditation. Look at this. If you want to see this Trinitarian theology work out, work itself out, this verse has amazed me. Listen to this. And now, because we are united to Christ, we both have equal and direct access in the realm of the Holy Spirit to come where? Before the Father. You know what the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit reaches out to humanity and then takes us and brings us up back into our original home in the love of God. If you want to know what the role of the Holy Spirit is, He's the one that reaches out to humanity, lifts you up out of where you're at, and brings you back home in the love of God. Brings the loving reality of Abba and Jesus and makes it a reality in your life. That's Holy Spirit. And, and I, I love this. Holy Spirit is the one who creates the bonds of the loving fellowship that God is. Listen to this. And creates access to the Father through the Son. This is important. The Spirit reaches out to humanity catches us up and brings us home in the love of God. Why do I say that? I say that because you need to know that the Holy Spirit, this is where I'm at right now. Apostle gave me a word, I believe this was almost three and a half years ago. He said, Mark, just as God has called me to help the body of Christ reimagine and rethink the image of the Father, He's called you to do that for the Holy Spirit. That's right. And He gave me that word, and I've held on to that for three and a half years, and I feel like the Father gave me permission about two months ago to step into that word. To rethink and reimagine who Holy Spirit actually is. 
And, and, and so some of this is going to be basic, and I'm going to go through it really quickly. Some of it's going to be basic, but I'm going to share some things with you tonight I don't think anybody's ever heard. I know I've never heard. And I've been stewing on this for a while. But let's start here. The Holy Spirit is not an it. He's a person. Not a mystical force. Not a mystical being. Not something that floats around. Holy Spirit is a person. And He's not signs and wonders. The only th- What is the purpose for signs? To point you in the right direction. Holy Spirit is not a, a sign or a manifestation. If there are signs and manifestations, guess what? They're pointing you to the reality that Holy Spirit is very present. Right? So Holy Spirit's not in it. He's a person. Now listen. He, here's what He does. He protects. He defends. I love this definition. These are actual definitions of the Paracletus. This is one of my favorite definitions. The Holy Spirit not only saves us from our enemies. It's an actual Strong's Concordance definition. You ready? The Holy Spirit saves us from ourselves. Yeah. Can I, can I tell you, spiritual warfare, the way most of us have been taught, is absolutely irrelevant inside this revelation. Because the greatest enemy that you and I have is not Jezebel, or whatever spirit that people tried to highlight in the church that we grew up in. The greatest enemy that we really have is ourselves. And so the Holy Spirit comes and He delivers us and protects us from us. That's really good news. He saves us from ourselves. He saves us from our enemies. And he listen to this. He keeps us whole and He keeps us healed. In the Aramaic, it's Paracletus. And in the Aramaic, it means the one para, which means to finish. And the second part of that is the curse. He is the finisher of the curse. Holy Spirit comes to, to make the reality of the finished work available on the inside of you. As He makes the reality of the fatherhood of God real to you, He also manifests the physical realities of the finished work in you. So when the Holy Spirit comes and fills a believer, it's a sign to you He's come to finish that thing in you. To finish the curse. Okay, moving right along. He is the closest proximity of nearness. For the believer, He brings the closest proximity of nearness. And and listen to this. And that nearness is for one reason. To constantly remind you and I that we are one with Christ. (laughs) The Holy Spirit has come in the closest form of proximity and His assignment is to make sure you don't live a moment absent of the relationship that you have in Christ. Okay? That's the assignment of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Holy Spirit, listen to this, Holy Spirit gives us greater access to Jesus than the apostles had when they walked with Him. That's a reality that I know, you, I know you've heard that, but have you really heard that? Right. Because Jesus looked at those boys that He was walking around with for three and a half years, and He said, listen, don't freak out because I tell you that I'm going away. He said, because when I tell you I'm going away, it's, for, it's to your advantage. Yeah. 
Because while I'm on the planet, you can walk with me, but when I leave, I'll walk in you. Come on. You in this room, every single one of you, have greater access to the person of Jesus than the apostles did 2,000 years ago walking the sandy seashores of Galilee. Yep, yep, that's right. People say, well, man, I, I just, if I could have just lived when Jesus was here, and you would have been living in an inferior time. Because Jesus said, if you really wanted to walk with me, you wouldn't want to just be there when I was actually there. The greatest time to be alive is right here, right now, because the Jesus they walked with now walks in you. My God, that makes me want to run a little bit. I mean, he, we have that kind of access. And in that access, he's a counselor. He's an advocate. I wish I had time to teach on this on the advocate part, because I want to deliver that from that Western legalistic ideas that we have. It's not the advocate the way that you think. He's an intercessor. He's a helper. But tonight, I want to give you just a little glimpse into one of the facets of the nature of the Holy Spirit. He is a divine encourager. Oh, this fires me up. Okay, let's jump into this. John 15, 26. Now we're here. Now we're here. Now we're here. Jesus said, and I will send you the divine encourager from the presence of my Father. He will come to you, the Spirit of truth, listen to this language, emanating from the Father. And He will speak to you, Jesus said, about me. Okay? For many of you who grew up in legalistic Pentecostalism, it's incredibly difficult for you to see the Holy Spirit as a divine encourager. <laughs> because most of your idea of who the Holy Spirit is, you see Him as the divine accuser. Listen to me. This is so important for you to get this. Most of what you and I have been taught about the Holy Spirit is actually been religion attributing the works of Satan to the work of the Holy Spirit. Which is the definition, Jesus said, of blasphemy. Is to attribute the work of the devil to the work of the Holy Spirit. And isn't that scary to think that you and I were given an idea about the Holy Spirit that matches the characteristics of the accuser? Okay, I'm going to walk you through this. Why? Because you and I were taught that Holy Spirit was in your life to constantly point out your flaws, reminding you that you need to get it together. Come on. When, when, people, when people say, you know, well, the Holy Spirit's been on me all week and, and it's mostly, and He just stays on me all the time saying, don't do this, don't say that, you need to do better, you need to do more. Come on, you know, you ask people about Holy Spirit, you know, what do they tell you about the Holy Spirit? Do more, do better, don't do this, don't do that, don't say this, do say that. It's a bunch of rules. 
This is what Paul said in Romans 8.15. That is not the voice of the Holy Spirit. He said that's the spirit of religious duty that leads you back into the fear of never being good enough. So some of you need a fresh baptism of the Holy Ghost tonight because the, the Holy Spirit you were given was a spirit of religious duty. And all it does, and you've heard apostles say this all the time, is religion is nothing more than do better, do more. It's a do more religion. And that is mostly what we've received as the revelation of the Holy Spirit. And so that's why I say it's hard for you to grasp Him being a divine encourager when all your life you've been taught that His voice was like the voice of the accuser. Constantly pointing out your flaws. So, because we've been influenced by a religious system built around humanity's problem of sin and God's wrath concerning sin, we've all become sin conscious. Okay? Now, thankfully, we should be making progress away from that. We've been receiving incredible revelation. But just to have a quick reminder, most of us grew up in intense religious bondage that kept you focused on the problem of sin and God's wrath toward humanity's sin. And therefore, that's why you and I grew up and our prayer life never existed beyond, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. Constantly saying I'm sorry and constantly being sin conscious, okay? So, with that sin consciousness, now go to John 16 verse 8. Look at this verse. This is, I'm going to read it to you and then I'm going to explain to you some of the framework you and I were raised in concerning the Holy Spirit. And when He comes, Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit, He will expose sin and prove that the world is wrong about God's righteousness and His judgment. This is in the Passion. But in the, put up the NLT. Can you do NLT? I bet you're so anointed back there, you could do tongues on that thing. Okay. All right, John 16, verse 8. In the unofficial version of the Bible, (laughs) NLT. And when He comes, listen to this, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. So in the framework that you and I were raised in, we would conclude that Holy Spirit's primary job in the life of Christians is to, number one, Convict us of our sinfulness. Number two, to convict us that we have... (laughs) Oh God. Of how we fall short of righteousness. And number three, convict us that we will be judged for our sins. That's been the primary way we've been taught that Holy Spirit operates in the life of people. That's been our primary definition of... You know, people tell you, you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit and they only can tell you about conviction of sin. Where did that come from? It came from this sin-conscious framework that we've received (laughs) from a very legalistic mindset called Calvinism. Oh, hallelujah. (laughs) Quick question. If the primary responsibility of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of our sins, then how did God's people in the Old Covenant without the Holy Spirit, have such an awareness of their sinfulness. Just think think here for a second. If the Holy Spirit's primary job in the New Covenant is to point out sin, then how were the children of Israel 
so equipped to point out sin before the Holy Spirit had ever come. (laughs) Okay? Look at Adam and Eve. They eat from the forbidden fruit. They were aware, after eating of the fruit, they were aware of their nakedness. And God said, who told you you were naked? Wait a second. I thought the Holy Spirit's the one supposed to tell us when we're out of... No, no, no. It wasn't the Holy Spirit that told Adam and Eve they were naked. So then who told them they were naked? Come on, walk with me here. God said, Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. That's Genesis 3.22. Paul even explains concerning the Gentiles in Romans chapter 2, verse 15, that even Gentiles, and, and think about this, Gentiles were people who had no concept of God, pagans, perver- just deep in perversion, greed, sinfulness, no thought of God whatsoever. And Paul says about Gentiles who do not have the Holy Spirit that even Gentiles show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience bearing witness and their thoughts accusing or else defending them. So Paul's saying even Gentiles have a sin consciousness. Okay? So sinners are aware of sin without the Holy Spirit's direct involvement. So then, what does Holy Spirit actually do? He talks about Jesus. What a novel thought! That Holy Spirit, He has one primary responsibility, and that's to talk about Jesus. Now, Go back to John 15, 26. The Spirit of truth who now proceeds... I'm going to read it from from the NLT. Keep, Keep that up there. Keep it up there. Just keep it there. The Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, He will testify about me. Okay? Or, and I will send you the divine encourager from the presence of my Father, and He will come to you, the Spirit of truth, emanating from the Father, and He will speak to you about me. Now... With understanding what I just told you, let's go back. I know you got to use your brain tonight. I'm so sorry. John 16, verse 8. I know, it's like, man, we got swirled out and now you're asking me to think. Trust me, it's harder on me to do this than probably you to receive it, okay? John 16, verse 8, in its context. Because we always build this sin consciousness off of John 16, verse 8. What's the Holy Spirit do? Well, He's coming to convict you of your sin, brother. He's coming to convict you that you've fallen short of God's righteousness. And He's convicting you saying, there's a judgment day coming. Let's read the verse in context. Go to verse 9. Okay, we see all that. Verse 9, what does it say in the Passion? John 16, verse 9. I did. (laughs) The world's sin, listen to this, is that it refuses to believe in Jesus. Well, I thought, I thought sin was homosexuality and, and all, let's name the big ones, and abortion and, 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 and stealing and murdering. Yeah, those are manifestations of sin, but the root of sin that Holy Spirit has come to deal with is not sin, it's dealing with the fact that He needs you 
to take hold of what's available in Jesus. So the Holy Spirit comes and it, and, and, and it comes and convicts what? Why? Because we refuse to believe in, in Jesus. Go to John 16 verse 10. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see me no more. Verse 11. Oh man, this is getting good. And, and judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Now, with this new understanding, the Holy Spirit's primary assignment is not to reinforce your sin consciousness. <laughs> like the accuser. But He comes to convince people of their identity in Jesus, to convince people that Jesus was perfectly righteous, which now gives us a perfect relationship with God, okay? And to convince people that the ruler of this world, Satan, has already been judged so that you are no longer captive, not another day, not another moment, to the evil one. So Holy Spirit doesn't come and deal and just convict of sin. He's saying, I've come to convince you of your righteousness. Holy Spirit comes to say, you don't have to war another day. Satan has already been defeated. This is, this is the assignment of the Holy Ghost. And the Holy Spirit, oh my God, is the divine encourager whose primary role is to point humanity to the victory of Jesus, not to people in their sinfulness. So you better learn how to preach this a different way because the sin message is not going to work too much longer. You can, o- you, can only, you can only work against the Holy Spirit so long. Come on. That's good. Oh, it just felt good to say. Woo! Come on, you can only work against the Holy Spirit so long. That's why when, when, when the bridegroom king starts interacting with the Shulamite in Song of Solomon, and the Shulamite starts bringing up all of her sin consciousness, it's amazing that the shepherd king never one time responds to her sin consciousness. That's right. she, she tries to bring her sin consciousness into the conversation and goes, yeah, yeah then don't even look at me. I'm dark and like the desert tents of the nomads. And, and don't, don't even look at me. I'm disgusting. And he goes, no, no, no. He goes, well, actually, when I look at you, you're beautiful and you're like the fine linen hanging in the holy place. The Holy Spirit will never partner with the accuser about your identity. Never one time. And I've come to break that lie off of some of you that you've attributed the voice of the accuser to the voice of the Holy Ghost. And it's not the same voice. He doesn't shame you. He doesn't make you traffic in guilt. He doesn't do any of that. The Holy Ghost comes and says, that's what you did, but let me tell you who you are. That's what you did, but let me remind you of who you are. And just because you did something, dysfunction will never become your identity. Identity. The Holy Spirit, oh hallelujah. The Holy Spirit rises up. The Paracletos comes in in the nearness of proximity and in the middle of sin. He rises up not to condemn you, but to remind you, you're better than that. <sighs> he doesn't come and say, Yeah, you made the bed, you're going to have to sleep in it. No, David said, Even if I made my bed in hell, God would be there with me. No, the Holy Spirit you have is the one that will come down in the hell that you've created and make your bed. That's right, come on. 
Oh, we got to break that lie that the Holy Spirit and the voice of the accuser's voice are one. They're not one. They don't even engage in the conversation the same way. He refuses to talk to your sin. Refuses to talk to your excuses. Refuses to talk to your poverty mindset about yourself. When the Holy Spirit comes, He says, I'm going to dress you the way Jesus wants you to be dressed. I'm going to help you talk the way Jesus wants you to talk. And you may fight against it, but I have been permanently assigned to your life. So good luck going to hell. I'm here. The Holy Spirit will make impossible for you to go to hell. Oh, you have a hard time. You have a hard time believing that. Well, either you believe he's the finisher of the curse or you don't. Come on. You thought you just got tongues. No, you got a divine and permanent rescue plan. That no matter how far you run, he'll pull you back home. That's right. Come on. That's right. You're hitting it. Call. Oh my God, man. I feel this right in my, as I used to say, in my shata. Come on. There's some, there's a religious spirit in this room tonight getting baptized in the love of God. Because you've let the accuser speak to you your whole life and the Holy Spirit shut down the flow to get us into another flow just to deal with one person in the room to tell you, I will never let you be a slave to religion again. I'll never let you tell me that my Holy Spirit has the same voice of the accuser. I've come to remind you of who you are. That's right. Come on. Not what you did. That's right. That's right. Oh. Mm-hmm. Listen to this. Holy Spirit is constantly pointing you to Jesus. Holy Spirit is constantly pointing you to the righteousness you've received from Jesus. Holy Spirit is constantly pointing you to the victory that Christ gave you at Calvary through the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. He's not pointing at your sinfulness. He's pointing to Jesus. Keep John 15, 26 up here and then I'll just kind of go through this and then we're going we're going to land this plane. Hallelujah. It's a quick flight. Quick flight. It was a breeze flight. Hallelujah. Okay. Two things from this verse. He will speak to you. See the last part of it? He will speak to you. Do you know what that word means? He will provide evidence. How do you know you've received the gift of the Holy Spirit? Not because you heard a nagging voice reminding you of your sin. That is no longer the definition of walking with Holy Spirit. How do you know you have the Holy Spirit? Because He provides evidence of Jesus. <laughs> okay, and here's the second part. And it says... He will come to you, the Spirit of truth, emanating from the Father. That word emanating means originates. You know how we would grow up and say, did you test their spirit? Right? No? Come on. I know you grew up in religion. We, we tested everybody's spirit so we could remove their candlestick. All right? Every time we had a message in tongues, some old lady would stand up in the church and you knew she was about to, number one, speak in perfect King James Version. And number two, she was going to remove somebody's candlestick because sin was in the camp. 
And we would all call that the fear of the Lord. And I want to tell you, that's the fear of judgment. That's liberty right there. And some of you still feel the results of that religious spirit that you called the fear of the Lord. And I'm telling you, it was the fear of judgment that came in a false message of tongues. Some of y'all don't want to shout, but you know you want to because you're getting free. It's all right to be happy that, that you know you got lied to. It's okay to be happy to be free. Come on. Okay, almost done. Okay. So, if the Spirit originates from the Father, then the Holy Spirit would never do anything different from the Father. So, if the Holy Spirit is a divine encourager, where do you think He got that from? Which means the Yahweh you've always been walking around scared of has actually been the one your entire life cheering you on into glory. God, I feel like running around the room. You've seen Him as the one that stands here with gavel in hand waiting for you to screw it up. And you're sitting there and He's pronouncing judgment on your sin. And I'm telling you, it don't work like that. He's the Father looking at you and saying, I know you messed up. But the righteous man falls down seven times. But come on, daddy's cheering you on. Come on, get back up. And don't you lay there in that sin. I'm the divine encourager that says, I know you messed up. Get up. You can take another lick. Get up. You can make it through it. Get up. I know what I put in you. I know the gift that I placed in you. I know the little bit of faith you have. But if you have faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed. That's the father. He's the one cheering you on. He's not doing this. The sound of the clap that you heard of the gavel was not the gavel at all. It was the Father's hands patting together saying, Come on, son. Come on, daughter. You can make it. My God almost broke this thing. I don't know what it it is, but I'm going to put it right back there. If the Holy Spirit originates with Abba, And He's the divine encourager. Your Father's the divine encourager. Okay? I'm going to show it to you. Joshua 1.9 Joshua is now the leader of a group of people that were divinely led by Moses. And Joshua has an encounter with angels. I'm going to talk about this in just, just a little bit. He has an encounter with angels. Freaks out. And the question he asks is the same question you and I ask when God starts interacting with us. Are you for me or are you against me? Because you're not convinced yet. So you're still wondering, are you for me or are you against me? And God steps into Joshua's story when Joshua's going, Moses is dead and now I'm the guy. And God says, This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid or discouraged for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. What is Yahweh doing in that moment? Encouraging a son. 1 Samuel 30. David 
is hiding in caves, already anointed as king, living as an exile in Philistine territory because Saul is against him. He's hiding in caves. He's not living at home. And he knows he's going to be king one day. But now, if matters couldn't get worse, in 1 Samuel 30, verse in chapter 30, now he's living in Ziklag. And now the enemies come in, burned all of his house, taken all of his possessions, not just from him, but all of his men, and then took his wife and sons and daughters into captivity. And this is what I love. David knew something about Abba. He began to encourage himself in the Lord. And in the divine moment of encouragement, while he's sitting there going through his history with God, God steps into that moment. David, you shall pursue. He didn't say, he didn't say, now David, if you'd have been home, this wouldn't have happened. That's the voice most of you know of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you would have been there and you would have been taken, if you'd have been at the house and you wouldn't have, done, if you would have went right instead of left, you would have been there and this would have never happened. No, no, no. That's not what God said. God stepped in the middle of that chaos. He didn't blame nobody. He didn't consult with David about what he needed to do with the enemy. He didn't do any of that. He said, David. The divine encouragers here. You shall pursue, you shall overtake, and I love this translation, and without question, you will recover all. What is God doing in that story? He's encouraging a son in his destiny. Oh, hallelujah. God tells Israel, this is Isaiah 41 verse 10. Israel at that time, in Isaiah's time, they're a divided kingdom. They're not getting along. Judah has been separated from the rest of Israel. Two nations now, they're split. They're full of idolatry. They're full of sin. They've, they've walked away from the covenant of God. And this is what God says to Isaiah in the midst of their backsliding. Fear not, Israel. I am with you. <laughs> Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will, withhold, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Yeah. Yeah. Guys, this is God stepping into a moment where they weren't even, they weren't even talking to God. Yeah. And what does God do in that moment? He steps in and does what? He encourages his sons and daughters. Oh, hallelujah. When God called the prophet Jeremiah, in Jeremiah chapter 1, Jeremiah gave God excuses and God replied, Don't tell me you're too young. Go speak what I tell you to speak. Go where I tell you to go. And whatever, I, and don't be afraid of the people, for I will be with you and I will protect you. What is he doing in the life of Jeremiah? Yahweh is encouraging a son. <laughs> Even the Bible, y'all, the thing we've used to beat the hell out of each other with. Romans 15 verse 5 says, oh my God. It it says, in Romans it says, and Scripture was written for our encouragement. The Scripture. And Romans 15 verse 5 calls Him the God of patience and of encouragement. Paul said, let me tell you about who Abba is. He's a God of encouragement. 
You know how revolutionary that statement is to a bunch of of Jews who absolutely are hell-bent on being religious? For Him to look at them and say, I know all that stuff you've heard about Yahweh. He's actually patient, kind, and full of encouragement. Yahweh is an encourager. (laughs) Jesus constantly encourages people. Constantly, constantly. Saying, don't be anxious for tomorrow, guys. Hey, 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 don't fear. Fear not, little flock. For it's your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus was constantly showing us the image of Abba being the divine encourager. When the Spirit came upon men and women in the Bible, even in the Old Covenant, the Spirit of God came upon Moses, and what did He do? He began to encourage Joshua. He began to encourage Israel. David learned how to encourage himself and encourage Solomon to do everything that was in his heart. The prophets... Even if they had to pronounce judgment, the overarching message that they would give was a message of hope and encouragement for the people of Israel in the face of calamity. Even when Israel was about to go into Babylon, into captivity, the word of the Lord comes to Jeremiah and says, tell the people, build, plant, get married, have kids, plant vineyards, have a blast. Because I'm actually using this moment of captivity to put you in the incubator of an entirely new world. Do you know the only people that died in Babylonian captivity are the ones who gave them a word that they should get out of captivity? Oh my God, that's another message for another time. Okay, last part. When angels came and talked to men and women, they were full of encouragement. When angels appeared to shepherds in the field after they wet themselves, they said, be of good cheer. This is a, this is, this is a message of good news and joy for the entire world. They didn't come and say, you better get your crap together, boys. Jesus is here. No, this is a message. Glad tidings, peace, and goodwill to all men. That was the message of the angels was encouraging people that a new day had arrived. Okay, When the angel came to Daniel in Daniel chapter 1 verse 12, the angel came with a message of encouragement. Daniel... From the, It was 21 days into him praying and fasting. And the angel of the Lord said, Daniel, I've come to encourage you. From the very moment you set your heart to begin to pray, God sent us on assignment. How encouraging is that for you and I? If in an inferior covenant, one man could lift up his voice and angels be sent on assignment. So just because you've been praying for a few days and hadn't seen anything happen, there's angelic activity taking place all around. And and they're coming with divine encouragement. Okay, when the angel Gabriel appeared before Mary, he said, grace to you, young woman, for the Lord's with you, and so you are anointed with great favor. And the Bible says Mary became troubled (laughs) and trembled at the word of the Lord. And God said to her, Mary, do not yield to your fear. For the Lord has found delight in you and has chosen to surprise you with a wonderful gift. Isn't it amazing? The, the, first of all, there's 300 
365 verses in the Bible that begin like this. Fear not. And every time angels came and interacted with people, the first thing out of their mouth was fear not. Why? Because religion told them to engage with the supernatural wasn't for your good. Think about the encounters. I've sit Gideon. I've seen the face of God and now I'm going to die. And angels were coming into the religion of those days going, fear not, He's not what you think. That's right. The one religion taught you was against you. He actually sent me here to let me know He's for you. So if if God the Father is a divine encourager, Holy Spirit's a divine encourager, Jesus is a divine encourager, and angels are sent with encouragement, I would say that the culture of honor in the kingdom of God is a culture of divine encouragement. And that's something we've lost. We've gotten divine complaining, divine accusing, divine nitpicking, divine critical spirits, and they're all in alignment with the divine accuser. And God is raising up a group of people that know when I get filled with the Holy Ghost, I don't get someone there to reinforce my sin management or my sin consciousness. I get the Holy Ghost to keep me constantly encouraged to be the person I really am, which is just like Jesus. And when I start believing that, I'll stop being critical of you and I'll become your divine encourager. That's right. And I feel like Yahweh put us in a room tonight with some families that God took us out of the system. And the only way that we've gotten to this day is we kept encouragement alive. And I feel like Yahweh sent me here tonight to say, I'm establishing a culture of divine encouragement in the North Gate. Oh my God. Man, Mm -mm -mm mm-mm-mm-mm. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Give you a few Bible verses and then we're going to pray and maybe go eat a cheeseburger. First, I really want a cheeseburger, I guess. And chances are I'll probably go out and just get wings, but nevertheless. Alright, 1 Thessalonians 5.11 Because of this, because of this, give you context, because of what? Union with Jesus. Encourage the hearts of your fellow believers and support one another just as you have already been doing. Verse 12. Dear brothers and sisters, make sure that you show deep appreciation for those who cherish you and diligently work as ministers among you. For they are your leaders who care for you, teach you, and stand before the Lord on your behalf. They value you with great love because of their service to you, let peace reign among yourselves. Last verse. We appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are not in their place of battle. I hate this translation. It's a terrible translation. It is not in the place of battle. It's saying, we appeal to you, dear brothers and sisters, to instruct those who are, not, who are living in idleness. Yeah. Listen to this. Those who are living in cruise control... Be skilled at gently encouraging those who feel themselves inadequate. Can I tell you? If you are in idleness, it's because you feel inadequate. And if you feel inadequate, chances are it's because the Holy Spirit has been your accuser and not your encourager. 
And so the Holy Spirit rises up in you. Instead of coming and cursing someone in cruise control, the Holy Spirit comes and says, rises up and said, look at the person in idleness. They're only idle because they don't feel like they've got what it takes. But I've put something in you to get them out of idleness. God, I'm talking about kingdom community. I'm talking about this is what apostolic revival cultures look like is coming alongside somebody who feels... Look, you, you, you call them lazy all you want. They feel inadequate. And, and, and most of the time, when they get into a place like that, they don't want to come to church because the divine accuser always finds idleness. Why? Do more. Do better. And what a person in idleness needs is a little bit of compassion that can look past what religion would call laziness and go, no, 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 I see something in there. I see, I see, I see something in there. And I see that you feel inadequate. But I see, <laughs> oh, hallelujah. I see the greatness of God that's on the inside of you. And, and so we've got to learn how to gently encourage those who feel themselves inadequate. Be faithful to stand your ground. Stand your ground on what? On not letting them be in inadequacies. Stand your ground on what? Religion? Do more? Do better? No. It's saying, stand your ground and say, as long as you're going to be a part of the North Gate, don't expect me to join your pity party. If I see you stuck, and I see you messing up, and I see you living outside of your identity, I am going to partner with the divine encourager and constantly remind you of who you are. (laughs) Oh, You're better than that. You got more in you than that. Come on, you're only doing that because that's all you've known, but there's something I has not seen in you. Come on, man. The divine encourager steps in in moments like that and says, let me show you what you can't see right now. (laughs) Hebrews 10. Hebrews 10, verse 23 through 25. So now, wrap your heart tightly around the hope that lives within us, knowing that God always keeps His promises. Verse 24. Discover, listen to this. You want this is I said this to our family a couple weeks ago. We we are finding a new creative expression at the shepherd's tent. Ready? It's this. Discover creative ways to encourage others. Yes. Come on, creativity is bigger than paint. Bigger than pen, bigger than lyrics, bigger than music. Discover creative ways to encourage others and to motivate them toward acts of compassion, doing beautiful works as expressions of love. Hebrews 10, 25. This is not the time to pull away and neglect meeting together as some have formed the habit of doing. In fact, we should come together even more frequently. Why? Eager to encourage. Why did we come here tonight? So I can encourage you. So I can remind you as a brother in this family to remind you the North Gate's a big deal. God's given you some promises. We've had some history, but we're just getting started. To send me in here and say, no, this is good for us to come together on a Saturday night because when we come together, we got to get back in the habit and meeting more frequently, eager to encourage and urge each other onward as we anticipate the, the day dawning. The day dawning. What day dawning? The promises of God being fulfilled. (laughs) Oh man, how many... I mean, literally, just the prophetic words I've given 
and Bobby's given, our apostle has given. I just come to encourage you and say, it's all true. That's right. It's all real. I heard it singing to me tonight. That's verse Ephesians 4.29. Oh, and never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth. But instead, let your words... Oh man, God's going to begin to give some of you a holy awe for language. Your words matter. Mm. Never let ugly or hateful words come from your mouth, but instead, let your words become beautiful gifts that encourage others. Do this by speaking words of grace to help them. Oh, this is where it gets to the good part. I'm going to ask Mike to stand up just so I can lay him out. Oh, hallelujah. I feel it. You ready? <laughs> We're now making our descent. That means put your tray tables up. <laughs> Turn off your electrical devices. Except for the kids that are just trying to make it through the service. Two things happened when the Holy Spirit came upon a group of people. One, they spoke in tongues. Number two, they began to prophesy. I think we've done the tongues thing really well. I don't think we've done the prophecy thing very well because our prophecy has been mixed with the accuser. Oh God. So, just as much as I want every one of you in this room to speak with with tongues, I want to tell you that's not the standard for the baptism of the Holy Ghost anymore. One day I'll come back and teach this. Acts 2 is the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But what actually happens inside of you that is the evidence, you won't find that in Acts 2. You'll find it in Romans 8. And Romans 8 is now the standard of the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Which is that you've heard the whisper that you're God's beloved child. If you speak in tongues and don't know you're loved, you didn't get it. That's right. That's right. Come on. Come on. That's the new standard, okay? All right? So, but Paul said, if I could get you to desire anything in the Spirit, I desire for you to prophesy. Because tongues can be a sign, but tongues build you up. So, you should pray in tongues excessively for yourself because you build yourself up. Prophecy is the gift that builds you up. That builds others up. So you pray in the Spirit for you. You prophesy for them. Ah, Okay? Prophecy. The Holy Spirit is the gift from the Father. But I believe prophecy is the gift of the divine encourager. The goal of the gift of prophecy. It's clear. It's in Scripture. 1 Corinthians 14.3 The one who prophesies speaks to men for edification, exhortation, and consolation. That's some King James language right there. Consolation. My God. He's a consolator. He's consolated me. Woo! Hallelujah. I didn't grow up in white church like y'all did. I, I know some of these songs, okay? Alright. Yeah, I'm just telling you. All right. <laughs> Somebody like counsel later. My God. All right. 
The goal of the gift of prophecy is edification, exhortation, and consolation. Edification means build up or encourage. Exhortation, I love this, means to call near. Consolation means to cheer up. So when I'm operating in the true sense of the prophetic with the revelation that the divine encourager lives in me, I'm building you up. I'm drawing you near to cheer you up. I'm building you up. I'm making sure that you stay near. Why? To cheer you up. See, I say that and some of y'all smile and then some of y'all are like trying to fight it. Just go ahead and smile. Whether it's your teeth or not, just smile. Just, just, just enjoy it. Prophecy is to build you up, draw you near, and cheer you up. When the, the two prophets in Acts 15, after they read this long letter from the apostles, the Spirit of God comes on two prophets, Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers and began to encourage and strengthen them in their faith. So the Spirit of prophecy came to say, you can do this, right? right. And I believe the divine encourager comes into moments like this to reveal Yahweh as an encourager in your life and for you to become an encourager to others. Oh man, I'll leave you with these two examples then we're going to stop. So Armin, give me, give me some, some pads. Hit me with a pad. We may just get in the flow again. Shaya. The, Lord, the word of the Lord is. Let's go eat. All right. <laughs> mm. Tina was right. There's a feast for this next two days. Next day now. It's a feast. Two people come to mind when I think about building this culture of divine encouragement. Barnabas. His name literally means son of encouragement. But, man, I feel it when I talk about this. Barnabas was so instrumental to the early church because he encouraged one man that changed the course of Christianity forever. When Saul first got converted, nobody in the church trusted him because he was a murderer, killed Christians. Nobody trusted him. They, weren't want, they didn't want to hear anything they had to say. And guess what God did? God brought Barnabas along by Paul's side and said, Paul, I know they don't trust you, but I see something in you. I know that they can't see the transformation that has really happened in your heart, but I can. And I know they think you're going to screw up, and I know they think you're trying to sneak in the meetings and try to get secret information, but I see the light of God in you. Barnabas gets, is the divine assignment of God to make sure that the apostle who would bring more language to the early church than any other father, even more than the ones that actually walk with Jesus. God's answer to make sure Paul fulfilled his assignment was put a son of encouragement at his side. I'm telling you, man. 
more than getting a prophetic word, I want to spend the next, I want to spend the rest of my day saying, God, show me who my Paul is. Show me, show me the person that people can't really see what's really happened there and let me see beyond their actions. Let me see the real thing happening in them. Paul was the only reason why he eventually got connected with the apostles. The only reason why he was given authority to write letters to the church was not just because God had placed that authority on him. Somebody had to stand with him, walk with him, and tell the church, you're missing out on one of your apostles. But listen, people are still people. They're going to make mistakes. And guess what? Paul, now that he's an apostle, now that he's been accepted into the church, now Paul gets an attitude because there's a little young guy named John Mark that doesn't have his stuff together. And John Mark gets dismissed by Paul. And Barnabas gets ticked off about it. And I think the conversation went like this. Hey Paul, you remember when nobody wanted anything to do with you? I walked with you. And now you got this young man that he, I don't know what he did, but I see something in him that you're not seeing. And I want to remind you that when you were nothing, I walked with you. And so now, until you can get a revelation of the mercy of God, again, I'm going to walk with him. And Barnabas left Paul, and I believe John Mark became his assignment. And Barnabas stayed with John Mark until Paul uttered these words. Now bring John Mark back to me. Barnabas, uh, could you imagine? Could you imagine if Apostle Damon came into this house and said, I'm taking a missionary journey and I'm picking 12 people to go with me. And he looks at you and says, Jimmy, (laughs) you're going with me. Jimmy's like, oh my God. And then Jimmy forgets something. And Apostle looks at him and says, go home. You're not finishing the trip. Jimmy loved joy would go into a place of going, oh my, he'd come home and do a 40-day fast immediately. 100%. (laughs) God, please restore me back to the mission field. No, seriously. Think about the weight of that. That was the Apostle Paul in that day. Looks at John Mark and says, send him home. He doesn't know what he's doing. And Barnabas says, Paul, I walked with you when nobody believed in you. And that comes from a deep place in me because I know what it's like to be wounded by people who were supposed to be Paul's to me. And you know what? When Paul, when when fathers wound you, they weren't real fathers. Let me just say that. When you have people in the ministry that were supposed to be fathers wound you, you know what God will do? He'll give you a bobby. He'll give you a Jimmy. He'll give you a Bryn Waddell. He'll give you men that can see something in you that's greater than what those men tried to use you for. And I'm telling you, this comes from a deep place because I've walked this out. And there's many times when you didn't go along with the ministry show, those men, you found out, they weren't fathers. And they wound you and send you home and say, you're not profitable to us anymore. God raises up a son of encouragement and puts him in your storyline to say, I know they don't want you to preach for him anymore, but I see it in you. 
I know they can't see what's really happening in you, but you just stay the path, Mark, because God has called you to the kingdom for such a time. Oh, Oh, man. We need some Barnabas that can walk away from people that everybody else thinks great to follow a John Mark into his discouragement and say, I'm not going to let you stay there. Or, or, ladies, Elizabeth. You know what encouragement looks like? When, when Mary did not know what to do with the word of the Lord that she was now physically carrying when she walked into Elizabeth's house. house the Jesus in her made the prophetic in her leap. I need to run with some people that when I'm carrying something that I don't even know what to do with, when I get in their house, the prophetic at them leaps at the Jesus in me. I believe there's some Barnabas and Elizabeth in the room. And you, I know tonight you would love to get your word. I think tonight your word is this. You are becoming a divine encourager to the ones you do life with. To build them up. To draw them near. To cheer them up. Oh man. Oh I know. I wish it was a better ending than that. But that's pretty good. God make. God make me filled to the overflow with the divine encourager until I become the divine encourager in other people's storylines. What do you think we were doing before all this even started? Before I even taught, I was, I was showing you what divine encouragement looked like. Laid my hand on my sister and gave divine encouragement. Spoke to you and gave you divine encouragement because you might not have been able to see that you were healed, but I was letting you know without doubt, without a doubt, you were healed. What is that? That is divine encouragement. It's to look at you and say, you don't have to live in the in the fear and the guilt and the shame of failure, you're sitting in a room full of people that are ready to encourage you into the real you. And can I tell you, I'm learning that I can't be the real me without that man in my life. I can't be the real me without the love joys in my life. Why? Because they are the ones that see the real me when I can't see me. Oh, I hope this hits you the way that it's hitting me. Man, I literally have to have these people in my life because there are moments when I can't see me, but they can. Because they're Barnabas in my story. And Elizabeth in my story. And so Abba, I am asking you tonight to fill the north gate with some Elizabeths and Barnabas that will walk. Hey, listen to me. And because you now know that the Holy Spirit is not critical of you, you can stop being critical of other people in this family. Now that you know the Holy Spirit's not the finger pointer, now you can be the you can be the hand that comes to the back and says, "Come on, let's get close again. Let's 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 build you up." Again, let's cheer you up. I know it didn't work out the way you thought it was, but Yahweh's not put you in this room to shame you for how it didn't work. 
But to remind you it's not over. Oh, no, no, it's not over. That's why, that's why that scripture's in, the, in there. It, it didn't say a righteous man's perfect so he never falls. It says a righteous man falls down seven times and he gets back up. You don't need a ministry. You need a family. Oh, Holy Ghost. I'm getting I'm gonna get in trouble, but but we'll just go for it. Jimmy can clean it up when we're done. He's good at it. He's good at it. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Look at me. Look at me. He didn't bring you in this family to point out all your flaws. And he didn't put you in a family that's gonna throw you a pity party. Pity will never get you into the presence. He put you in the family. And He's put some Barnabases in your life and some Elizabeths in your life that says, listen, I know that's what you think, but let me tell you what I see. You're better than that. You're bigger than that. So Lord, I just ask for you to release encouragement all through this family. Come on, do you receive it? Hold your hands out like a gift. The gift of encouragement. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Thank you for listening to this message from the North Beach. If you would like to donate to this ministry, please go to www.thenorthgateoh.com and click on the link at the bottom of the homepage.